0: You are listening to the Draper fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Seminar, brought to you weekly by Stanford Technology Ventures Program at Stanford University School of Engineering. So let's give Pam a big welcome to uh, Stanford University. Pam. (laughs) Welcome, Dave.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, in 2004, AgriQuest won the Top 100 Private Company Award, and I noticed that my talk, 10-minute talk, was sandwiched in between two internet security co- companies, and I was groaning and saying, oh my god, the whole program is, is uh, people aren't going to be interested at all in what I have to say, and the conference organizer said, oh no, you all ha- we all have to eat, and that is true. And all of you should be very interested in what's happening in our food system because it's quite dynamic and there's a lot of changes. And I'll touch on some of that today and, of course, tell you some of the lessons uh, that I learned being an entrepreneur. Uh, My major goal since I was about eight, so I'm a little bit weird. I was interested in bugs since I was young and studied entomology my entire career. Entomology being the study of insects. And I grew up in a family that was organic gardeners on 40 acres in Connecticut, very green family. My father was an energy efficiency expert, and my mother's a master gardener who does everything organic. And so I decided I wanted to have a career pursuing product, developing products that were going to be safer than chemical pesticides. And I started uh, my career from graduate school getting a PhD in entomology and then went to, right out of graduate school, to Monsanto company, and a very exciting program I was allowed to start up to look for new solutions uh, for insect control. And I was pretty much given a blank sheet of paper and said, just find something new, and had a really good time there for seven years. But Monsanto ultimately decided they wanted to pursue genetically engineered plants, uh, engineering the uh, insect control uh, proteins and the genes the code for those proteins into plants which have become very successful and my group switched to that and and was very um, involved in doing that but I actually was more interested in looking for things that you could spread microbes like bacteria and fungi that you could actually spray on plants to kill insects and plant diseases and so forth rather than the engineering route so I got a call from a Danish company called Novo Nordisk and they said well we'd like you to start up a company somewhere in in the U.S. And we ultimately uh, decided on Davis, uh, California, to start it up. And so I was given the money to start up a company as a wholly owned subsidiary looking for novel solutions for insect control that were uh, based on naturally occurring microorganisms that could be fermented, like you're making wine and beer, in the tanks. And the reason they wanted to do this is because they had excess tank capacity at the time, wanted to fill those tanks, and hired a, a big consulting firm who said diversify. And uh, so they wanted to get into all these new businesses, of which we were one. And um, so we started up a program looking for naturally occurring microorganisms the organisms that you could ferment, that you could spray out as pesticides. And after five years, they, hired a, uh, they were having some real problems in their core businesses in that they actually um, anticipated they didn't anticipate that they were going to have a tank shortage after five, sh- and so they couldn't, didn't have enough tanks to meet their main core businesses of industrial enzymes. So they hired, I think it was Booz Allen that time, and, t- and Booz Allen said, well, you've diversified too much. Please sell all your uh, ancillary businesses and get back to your core. So we were sold uh, in 95, and I took three scientists who are still at AgriQuest as the founding scientific team and then started up, raised uh, about $500,000 from friends and families and some large farmers, and uh, we were on our way. Well, why would you think you could find pesticides from nature? Well, the drug, discover- the drug companies have forever been looking for drugs from the rainforest, and more than 50% of your drugs are from natural sources. So. I had done this at both companies, Monsanto and Novo Nordisk. They let me, as I said, do pretty much whatever I wanted. So I actually took the drug model, looking for extracts of plants and microorganisms, testing them against insects and plant pathogens, uh, fungi, molds that, that kill plants, and weeds. And we found quite a number of things that were very interesting. But both companies didn't pursue this area. And I said, well, I have to get back to this. It's, it worked in drugs. It's going to work in pest management. And everybody wants to be green. Consumers don't want chemical pesticides in their food. The global pesticide market is over $30 billion. It's, uh, well, it's actually about $30 billion. There's um, some perturbations. This is all weather-based. This is where there was a drought in Europe. But overall, if you look at the market since 1999, it's not growing at all. And that's because uh, a number of chemical products are being phased out by various governments around the world. And if you notice, you can get food. It's now taken for granted. You can get uh, asparagus from Peru off-season. When it's not in season in California, you can get grapes from Chile. Because of the global movement of food, The the, uh, exporters do not want chemical pesticides on that food. It is regulated by law, the level of chemicals that you can have at the time of harvest. Products like ours, you can spray right up to harvest. And there's no chemical residues. You can't do that with chemicals. So there's a real compelling reason um, to to switch to, to products like ours. The global market for organic food is growing very fast. This is the US market. It's about uh, $14 billion and growing at 20% per year. Organic food has been in the media quite a bit. And, but what it is is food that is produced without the use of synthetic chemicals or without the use of genetic engineering of crops. So it is natural or naturally derived ways to. Uh, but it's, it's more than that. It's actually a whole system and philosophy of growing your crop. But uh, the rules are, under the national organic standards for the US Department of Agriculture, is um, no synthetic and genetic- genetically engineered inputs. California is a leader in natural pesticides or biopesticides like the ones that uh, um, AgriQuest and my new company is has making. It's growing very fast as well. Organic food is becoming mainstream. Um, consumers perceive organic as healthier. And there is a growing body of scientific research that supports the health and environmental and taste benefits of organic food. Even research from Stanford has um, recently came out, made a big splash and, and, and showed some of that. Um, purchases, they cross they're go, they're, it's no longer an elite uh, white, uh, rich female who's buying organic food. It crosses all demographic and uh, ethnic groups um, and income groups. Whole Foods. The big uh, um, organic food retailer has stated they want to grow from four to twelve billion by 2010. And then, if you walk into a Safeway these days, you'll see their Big O brand for their organic private label line. All the other um, grocery stores have their own private label line now, like Stop and Shop and so forth. Big global, uh, big U.S. food distributor, multi-billion-dollar food distributor, has because they want to source. Globally, they have now set up standards, and those uh, global suppliers have to meet those standards for sustainability and organic production and Walmart is becoming the largest organic retailer they 've seen a high growth area and is now uh, are now driving very fast into this into this area as well, which has a lot of implications well what is what is this going to do to a lot of growers in California are switching to um, growing organic, like Driscoll's, is the largest strawberry grower in, in uh, the U.S. Controls probably 80% of the strawberries. They've stated they're going to get to 80% organic by, you know, by four years from now. That's because Whole Foods, pay, Whole Foods pays them a lot more than traditional supermarkets to grow organic. But what if Walmart comes in and drives the price of, of uh, organic down? What is that going to do to Whole Foods? So there's a big debate. Uh, whether these are totally different customers and, 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 it's, and it's not going to matter and they're not going to mix and so uh, Whole Foods will do just fine and the farmer selling them to do, do just fine, but uh, we'll, we'll have to watch that one and see what happens. So the company that I founded in 1995, AgriQuest, discovers, develops, markets um, effective environmentally friendly natural products. And I'll explain briefly how we do this. I don't, certainly don't have time to get in all the, the the technical part of it but the key word is effective when i started agriquest i did a market survey of growers and the distributors who sell to growers and they told me that these products are snake oils they don't work Um, we're not going to buy them and i said well what if you buy what if there's a natural product that's effective it's not a snake oil so the whole idea is that there are products that can compete with chemical pesticides in every way shelf life um, ease of use performance And that's what AgriQuest has focused on. And we have proven that you can do that. Discover these natural things that can work as well as chemicals and provide value the same or better than chemicals. So an overview of the company. I started it in 95. We're headquartered in Davis. I bought a manufacturing plant in the year 2000. That's in Tlescal, Mexico. We have about 80 employees, um, several products on the market. They're all patented. Uh, This is a proprietary business. Uh, we compete with Bayer and Syngenta, DuPont, Dow, uh, BASF, and, and they uh, are very big multi-billion dollar companies that put a lot of money into developing new chemical pesticides. Raised uh, $60 million of, of capital and uh, sales now. I left AgriQuest March 31st. Um, AgriQuest is now um, moved from discovery and development and is, and is ramping up sales very quickly, more than doubling, doubling or more than doubling sales, And I exited to start up a new company, which I'll talk a little bit about. Just briefly, just like like drug discovery companies do, uh, penicillin from a mold, your antibiotics from microorganisms, we go out and collect compost, dead bugs, leaves, flowers, bring them back to the laboratory and find the microorganisms that live there and then Understand the chemistry, the natural products, the compounds that are excreted like these mic- by these microbes. Optimize those um, in fermentation so that every batch in our plant in Mexico is producing a defined amount of this pesticidal compound in there. And that way, having that very defined um, high level of that compound has made our products better than what traditional natural products, these snake oils, a company would find a microbe, they'd just grow it any old way, and then every batch would be very inconsistent and get a bad reputation in the marketplace. Then through a process of process development and commercial development, go out and do field trials, test on the actual farmer's fields, see if it works, and uh, get it to market. The uh, plant we have in Mexico um, is where we produce all our product, and I'm actually uh, looking back on it. uh, This is the best decision I made to buy this plant. I bought it because I couldn't find uh, tank capacity that would be the price that we needed to make a good business. The contract manufacturing would quote us prices that would put us into a negative margin and we weren't going to make any money. So I hired a consultant who looked all over the world for... For something for us to ferment in, and found this plant that was for sale from Abbott. It was a antibiotic plant, and they actually convinced them to loan us the money to buy it. And that way, because we had almost no revenue at the time, it's a 208,000 square foot plant on on 15 acres. It was a it was a seven million dollar purchase. It was a big big purchase for a company that had no revenue, and but Abbott loaned us the money and. Uh, it's, it's been excellent because we have a team down there that has fermented 500 runs, so that's individual fermentation runs, and they had only one spoiled run in five years. It's been a remarkable uh, record. And so what you do is, in these big tanks, like you're making wine and beer, but in this case, it's a much faster process. After You put the microbe in the tank after uh, 48 hours or 36 hours. You harvest it, and then you can either uh, package it as a liquid like this in a little jug, or you can dry it and package it as a powder. And so instead of a chemical being sprayed out by the farmer, they're spraying out a living microbe and the compounds that were harvested with the microbe that were excreted in that tank that are causing the pesticidal activity. So the product is composed of both the microbe and that natural compound. And um, uh, so it's a, then uh, they put, you put it in the spraying tank and you're on your way, spray over the crop just like you would a chemical, but it's a living thing with those compounds in there. Now, one of the things that um, I did, which um, actually everybody told me was crazy at the time, was I wanted to get a product into Walmart. And I um, had a friend who said he knows this X group of ex-Walmart buyers who actually helps companies get into Walmart. So I contacted them, and we, um, I went to Bentonville, which is their headquarters, and um, and pitched Walmart, and the Walmart garden, pestic- garden buyer he was for the whole garden section, including pesticides, said, "I think that maybe in five years, or three, three years, or five years, or seven years, we're probably not going to be selling any chemicals in Walmart. So I better start looking at this organic, natural stuff. It's growing very fast." Now I visited Lowe's and Home Depot, and they said, "We like our chemicals. Our customers like our chemicals. We don't, we don't want your stuff. They don't work. It's snake oils." So I was intrigued that Walmart, Big Bad Walmart, was the one that took our product in first. This was the first certified organic pesticide ever in the retail chain called Serenade Garden Disease Control, in 2,400 stores now being sold. And so it, it was int- Walmart actually walked the buyer actually walked me through the process. So I came in with a um, a up of the bottle, spray painted, and you know, and and, uh, um, and he actually told me what he did and didn't like on the label. And it first said Serenade garden fungicide, and he said the average housewife coming into Walmart isn't going to know what a fungicide is. Please change it to disease control. He told me what colors. So interestingly, it took the time over several months to um, get it the way they wanted. I mean, it's obviously a very small product for a Walmart, but now they've started a whole organic line, and 20 environmental groups put out a press release chastising Home Depot and Lowe's for not having any organic products in their garden line, And and Walmart wasn't named. So it was maybe some PR as well that helped Walmart uh, take it into the store. So the, the product, that this Serenade product here, which is the same as what's in, uh, in the ready-to-use for the, uh, for the Walmart, is actually a bacteria that we found in a peach orchard in Fresno County, California. We had a small investor who was a farmer who noticed that he never saw brown rot in his field of peaches. They never rotted, and his neighbors had brown rot, but he didn't. So we collected a little sample under the tree, brought it back to the lab, and I had a very good microbiologist who I'd worked with for five years uh, prior at my previous company, and she found a bacterium, a microbe that lived was living there, and uh, it was warding off everything else on the petri plate that we had. And we um, brewed it up in a little flask, Um, in the lab, because we didn't have a fermenter or a tank or anything, and went out. And I had a friend who was the head of R&D for Gallo Vineyards up in their North Coast Vineyards and said, could I spray it out, please, and see if this works? And sprayed it on some vines. And it did a beautiful job of controlling powdery mildew, uh, which is uh, on the left. And you can see it's very clean grapes and also bunch rot. And we used that data, that one little test from Gallo to raise the first round of venture capital. When the venture capitalist said, um, when I was pitching, said, well, what have you got? Have you proof of concept? Well, there it was. And now it's, uh, this year we're projecting about 17 million in sales, and we have had no performance failures. So it's not a snake oil after more than uh, 3.5 three million pounds sold. The key is, is to breaking down those, that skepticism about Uh, these types of products was to get it on the farm demonstrating with the farmer is this product in your program going to do something at least as good or better than what your chemical only program is and there's a lot of gatekeepers who prevented us from getting on that farm there's distributors who have pest control advisors who no you don't want to we don't want to get you on the farm this stuff is hole. and there's also university which really surprised me was university researchers the land-grant institutions who said stand up at, at grower meetings and say these, things, these products don't work. All the efforts that we went in trying to build the, the, uh, the, good, uh, the good data and so forth would be ruined in one grower meeting. So I'll talk a little bit about how we overcame those barriers um, with those academics in a minute. But um, key was getting it on the farm and demonstrating, and it's true of any business, that demo was really critical. It's now approved in many countries around the world, and that's adding a lot of countries. So. We sell. We're the manufacturer. We sell to a distributor, uh, a United Agri-Products or a Tenco's group, and they sell to the grower. But these gatekeepers were trying to keep us from getting to the grower. This was a really tough problem. It was also a really tough problem. It was a really difficult uh, problem for our salespeople. The salespeople I hired, these, these uh, distributors, they like people who've been in the business for 20, 30 years that they know. They're not going to sell a company's product that they, it's just brand new, they don't know anybody. So we had to hire people from the Syngentas, BASFs of the world and so forth. And it turns out that those, a lot of those people are used to taking one or a half a percent market share away from each other every year. They didn't know how to take a product. Substitute our product for a chemical. It's a very different sale, and we required the salesperson to be a lot more aggressive. And uh, one of my distributors here said, "You need to hire hungry dogs. Those are people who you can who can make that sale and wrench that product, that chemical product, out of the grower's hands and put your product in there." And that was a really really tough sell So at one point, I actually um, replaced the entire sales team, and hired a new one. And we figured out that the key component in hiring these types of people was if they had an entrepreneurial experience in their past, they started up a company, or they had a family member, a close family member, it could be a, you know, a parent or aunt or uncle or something that had a family business, was an entrepreneur, took some risk. So I could then now, in the interviewing process, find those salespeople who were going to be able to make that sale uh, wh- when uh, the other ones couldn't do it. And that was really key. So, being an entrepreneur, especially in this business where you're changing the paradigm of how farmers produce their food with, with these products and substituting one product for another, the, what we found is that the academic scientists would test products um, in an artificial situation so that actually introduce insects or molds to the field on a, in a vi- very high level in a little test plot and then test my product side by side with the chemical and it was totally artificial the farmers don't do that at all the farmers use lots of different products in cocktails so they'll mix five products in a tank and spray it out a fungicide an insect killer a weed killer and maybe even two fungicides at the same time or they'll rotate products so they'll have a program to prevent insects and mold the, the fungus from developing resistance and to the, to the chemical, so the chemicals uh, will still work, they rotate from one chemical to another. So they never use anything standalone. But all the government work was done. I mean, I mean sorry, all the academic work was done with um, standalone, very artificial situations. So I actually formed a group called the Biopesticide Industry Alliance in the year 2000. I called all my colleagues in the industry and said, let's get a trade group together and start lobbying to change some of these things. Which we did, which is now a, a, a nonprofit with uh, an executive director and dues paying and has about twenty nine members, and we got the Environmental Protection Agency and the. US Department of Agriculture to fund a program. They always say that if you want um, someone to, you want someone in the university, at least in our land grant university, to, to do something, you, you, they go where the money is. so, so they, they seeded and put out a lot of grants, and as part of the grant proposal, the, the, the grant proposal they had to, if they sent in a, a grant proposal, that a grant application that had them stand alone side by side, immediately rejected. The whole idea was that they would get money for doing on-farm research where it would integrate these types of bioproducts just like the farmer was doing in a more practical way. That completely changed the attitude of these types of uh, university professors, um, extension specialists they call them, when they saw that They started getting really good data on the farm. They saw these products were getting, uh, when you integrated one of these bioproducts in, the farm was getting higher yield, at least least as good control, and even often a better quality. One of the farmers I met in Mexico when I was uh, down there talking to customers said, he saw that when you break this chemical cycle, it's like a plant's on steroids all the time. And so it's, Chemical, 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 and then eventually the health of the plant poops out. But if you have this break with a biological product in there, it, it, it can give it a little break and the plant health increases. And time and time again, we, the growers tell us that there's uh, um, a higher yield and higher quality when they uh, incorporate our products in. When I started AgriQuest, the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, who approves our products, told me it would take 12 months to get my product approved. So I put that in the business plan you know, raise money and all the investors are waiting for the products to be approved in 12 months. The first product, Serenade, took 28 months. The second product took 48 months. This this is a disaster to a business but that you have to get revenue. And the whole industry was on its knees because of these unpredictable timelines. What we found out was that the EPA, which is still true, is very, very susceptible to political influences, changes of administration, changes the timelines. And so... It was impossible to predict. And how can you have a business with a business plan where you never know when your product's going to be approved? This was, this was a disaster. And so um, we got our biopesticide industry alliance together. We teamed up with the big companies, Bayer, BSF, et cetera. And we actually went to Congress and got a law passed to change it. That's the only way we, that's the only way we felt we could do it. And uh, in 2004, we passed the Pesticide Registration Improvement Act. Now it takes 18 months. For a new uh, natural pesticide to get to the market on a food crop, and 12 months for like turf or flowers, non-food crop. So now, starting up my new company, I have a business plan that says I know that in 18 months for a food crop, I'm going to get my product approved. A huge difference if you're an entrepreneur trying to do something like this. I already mentioned the um, the uh, the barrier, um, the se- the salespeople. I had to swap out a lot of salespeople. And the solution was to hire those hungry dogs who were innovators and could take high risks that had an entrepreneurial experience in their background. When I I started AgriQuest and predicted the the adoption, I had predicted a much steeper adoption curve than it is here. So the farmers will never try it. It'll never be full adoption the first year. And this is true of any technology. Um, that in the first year, uh, you've got your early innovators, early adopters a few, you know, will try it on about 20 acres. Then you've got growers the next year, that same grower will try it on a few more acres, 300. And what we had figured was the third year would be full adoption. This is a, the real curve of serenade adoption in fresh market tomatoes in, Cal- in Florida, which is our largest market actually and right now. It's, it's, it's about 40, 45% of all the sales. And um, it, so it took a much longer, it was this sort of flat 25% growth here, and then a big ramp up in year five. And so when I'm starting my new business, I said, well, what can I do to make this curve a lot steeper and get a much faster adoption curve and revenue ramp much much faster? And I decided that I would focus on, much, on unmet market needs AgriQuest products are very good, but they're in a highly competitive environment where it's a substitution. You have to, again, wrench the farm, you have to wrench that, that product, that chemical out from the farmer and substitute yours. I was gonna I was looking for markets in the new company, completely unmet needs where there's very little competition. All right there. So Changing that adoption curve to get a steeper curve, I decided to focus on the single largest cost of organic production is weed control. You can see this is on the left is a very weedy radish field, and on the right is one that doesn't have weeds. Well, how do you get that one on the right? You hand hoe. It is absolutely archaic. And so you have to hire laborers to hoe strawberries or any of your high-value vegetables, all of your fruits and vegetables here, here in California. And it costs strawberry growers $2,000 an acre, grape growers about $600 an acre, acre to do this. Sometimes you can go through the rows with tractors and cultivate out the weeds, but that's only in crops that are suitable like that, like corn or soybeans or so forth. So if you add up the cost to US organic growers alone, and it's much bigger worldwide, it's a half a billion dollar that they're spending on this absolutely archaic way. They can't use Roundup. They can't use sprays that you can spray over it. So orga- So, never mind Walmart. How is Walmart going to source all of their organic? Because this is, this is, it's just going to be impossible for them to, to rapidly ramp up organic as fast as they want to unless there are better weed control solutions. So, so the solution that, I, that, that we're working on at, at the new company is I know there are these microorganisms that produce these compounds that can kill plants, kill weeds. So st- I'm setting up a... a program where you can actually isolate the microorganisms that produce compounds that kill weeds. And I know they're out there, so it's not a matter of if, it's when. So it's just, it's wet, it's just looking at the microbes, enough microbes, from, from interesting places based on our previous experiences to find these things. So this is very, very exciting for me, doing this. So to wrap up, I'm just going to talk about some of the lessons, more of the lessons learned. Um, I, exited AgriQuest with not as much equity as I think I should have, well actually everybody says it, not just me, should have for what I built. And there's a number of reasons for that which I I don't need to get into now. But um, first of all, get a really good lawyer. That's really important. (laughs) It really is. Someone who can really give you options and negotiate really hard on your behalf. And start thinking strategically very early. If you're going to have to do Fit, raise 50 million in capital or 30 or whatever. How are you going to, down the road, protect yourself and your early investors and your, your um, shares in the company? And uh, I, I like, for example, I didn't have an employment contract until Series G, and I should have had one much earlier. So, um, and uh, so getting that really good lawyer is very important. Also, you always want to be in a position of strength when you're negotiating. After we had filed um, our S1 uh, with the SEC to go public, and we filed August 3rd, 2001. It's really bad timing. And I had an investor who said, Plan for disaster. And I was like, Oh, come on, what could happen? Well, 911 yeah, <laughs> happened too. You know. Obviously, you couldn't predict that, but nevertheless, he was right. Plan for disaster. And so I didn't. So we were short on cash, and I had, you know, short on cash. And so then you are not in a very good negotiating position when you're short on cash and you're worried about making payroll. So the new company, you know, my, my real motto is going to be negotiate from a position of strength and not be in a position where, and plan for disaster, and not be in a position where um, you have to take whatever money that comes in the door. Um, I, I don't do well with aggressive top dog types um, who, are not, who, don't see that, who don't talk to you on an equal basis or always you're always in a one down position. I just don't do well with those types of people. And um, people who, who manage on the basis of fear, and very top-down and uh, corporate environments. I'm Monsanto. There are a lot of, lot of uh, people like that at Monsanto, at all the companies I've worked for. And I just don't do well with those uh, um, at all. And I, it's very important that I work with people who are extremely fair and high integrity. And open communication and open and candid communi- communication is really critical. I. And the type of person who likes to have employees involved in, in a lot of decision decision making and strategic planning. And I believe that employees who have a lot of information are more productive employees and are more empowered. And that was the case at AgriQuest. Um, and it's really important when hiring people for this type of business: is do they care about the environment? I mean, if someone is is really a no, is a nozzlehead, and they're they don't really nozzlehead being someone who came from a chemical company and still adheres to really liking chemicals and is just doing it for the job. Um, they have to care about the environment. An interesting interview question, do you recycle? And, and, what, and what is their answer? You, know, you can tell when people are faking it. So, um, and do they volunteer in the community? Um, do they care about something, somebody something other than themselves? That's really important. Um, and I do believe that a diverse workforce definitely leads to, leads to better decision making and higher productivity. And that's a real goal of mine as well. It's really important to have uh, uh, women in, in, the, in the management team. The dynamics of a conversation or a room is very different when you have women, more than one woman um, in a room together. I believe it's really important. Nobody's going to be as passionate about my, my business as I am, because my, the Graduate School of Management students at UC Davis told me I have unreasonable passion for this, this business. So no one's, no one's going to have that as much. So I said, but you do have to have people who really believe. Those salespeople, they had to believe in our product to sell it. They couldn't sell it if they just, well, it was just any old product. Um, and, and I do believe that I need to hire very trustworthy people. Um, my husband was injured. Um, dislocated the shoulder when I was traveling. And there were a group of AgriQuest employees that took care of him while I was away. And those, those, are, those are really good employees. And if you go on an interview and I get, if someone is interviewing with me and I get a handwritten thank you note, that person stands out in my mind. And I, I, like, I would hire people who have, who, who are, of course, if they're equally qualified people. One gives, sends me an internet note and one sends me a handwritten note and they're equally qualified, I would hire the one with the handwritten note because they take the extra time um, and something personal. It's, anybody can just flip off an internet note for thanking somebody. So a lesson for you is write handwritten thank you notes when you when uh, someone does something nice for you. Also, people who don't return my books or CDs are really... <laughs> you know, what, what, are they trust? They're not trustworthy. I mean, a book is sacred to, you know, CD. These are things that... Uh, you know, of course, now you don't CDs are not as much because you download everything. But, but uh, in the past, anyway, um, we already talked about hiring innovative, risk-taking people. This is very important, not just for salespeople, but also for R&D people. It was interesting how little Agriquest, very innovative, would ha- would there would be this, this this weird culture developing, of people who would who would uh, um, say no to everything and not want to not want to take risks, and, and over time. Um, I had to introduce a number of innovative um, innovation exercises to get people to brainstorm and think more innovatively. And I don't know whether it's just uh, PhDs um, or just that way. Uh, but I was surprised that just being in an innovative company didn't mean that people remained inno- innovative. And I um, already mentioned about the entrepreneurs. With that, uh, thank you very much. OK, you picked the question, yeah. There's a question. Um, how
0: did you, you said that you had to shift around your entire sales team, mm-hmm. and you had to go look for a different type of people. I'm wondering, did you have a strategy for targeting that, those kinds of people, or did you just interview as many people and screen them?
1: We, we, we found that actually, um, we found a really good headhunter who knew the industry really well and knew the, the pool of salespeople. And once he worked with us for a while and he understood what we were looking for, he pre-screened them and could, um, and, and it ended up that the pool that we got to interview ended up being many more of them with the, that type of, uh, that type of uh, profile. Yeah. 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 Oh, repeat the question. Yes. OK. OK, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's more questions. I didn't <laughs> stump you all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I
0: have a question and the comment that you made about five minutes ago on the valuation your frustrations of what uh, you ended up with on the equity mm-hmm. side of the company mm-hmm. um, I, I've actually talked with venture capitalists who said that right now the state of the art is that you could expect between as a non-founding CEO 5% of the company and the five vice presidents next to them 1% and uh, going great right now is because there's not really much IPO activity it's more M&A, the magic number is 150 and I've seen this venture capitalist just look out at an audience and say, so if you want to be the vice president of uh, whatever here, you know, technology, design, finance, you, you can expect to get $1.5 million after three to five years worth of work, and that's before taxes. So is it worth it? Um, your thoughts on what you think is fair and equitable, and I've always personally thought that your first startup, you're really going to make other people wealthy, not yourself, because they're, they're, when you're an unknown quantity, it's just not clear whether you have the skill set you to really through and, and accomplish what you you're
1: going to. Yes. The question is about um, how much equity. I made the comment I didn't think I ended up with enough equity, and how much equity uh, should someone end up uh, at the CEO and VP's VP levels? And um, the first one, first uh, venture, is more for making other people wealthy than yourself. I would actually, because you're an unproven entity, I would actually agree that with that. Um, certainly, the second one, um, it'll be quite different. But I, and, and, and to be honest, I didn't go. Obviously, didn't do this for the money, and so it was always the comp- putting the company first. And um, and I, I maybe was surprised at, um, at at the end of the day, it wouldn't it wouldn't be um, what I actually ended up. But how new people coming in were compensated relative to what I have. So it was more a relative thing that uh, uh, I, I was I was I was maybe looking at in terms of fairness. And uh, so, at the end of the day, I think you're right, though. Um, but today, um, I think your numbers are probably accurate. Yeah, are pretty accurate about what, what our company, what the VCs in our company are looking at. Yeah, yeah. The the one percent for VPs, and uh, uh, you said five percent for uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a question.
1: Well, it did get good results. He said our product didn't get good results when tested in the academic setting. It did get good results, but not quite as good as the chemical. In every case, sometimes it was equal, but sometimes it was. Let's say the chemical would control 90 percent, and ours would be 75. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yes, there was a number of factors, and we actually did some tests to try to figure this out, why um, it didn't work as well in the academic hands as ours. Um, And it can be very complicated technically. The academic scientists would use a backpack sprayer by hand, and the farmers use a a tractor-driven spray rig with different nozzle types and different agitation. And um, what we found is that if a technician in an academic uh, lab is... um, could mix up our product in the morning and not get to it until later that afternoon and not agitate it. And the chemistry that's in there needs the agitation. And so uh, just the different kinds of spraying nozzles and spray rigs would make a huge difference. That's something. uh, that you, you don 't necessarily see that as much with chemicals, but with these types of biologic products and, and the different kinds of chemistry that is in there, very different kinds of chemistry that was that was a big factor. There was a number of things also the um, um, where the plots were situated um, often the the demo trials for the chemical pesticides would be done in the same location year after year after year, so the level of disease molds on the grapes would be a lot lower, whereas the um, untreated, or the natural plots, where they were testing a lot of snake oils, would have a much higher natural level to begin with. And so, um, so the, the different populations would change the outcome. So there were a number of factors. Yeah. So the, it, the design of the, of the plots was, re- was really critical, which again led to the, the government actually funding a redesign of these types of uh, tests. Yeah. This question.
0: Um, you mentioned that you should hire a lawyer early
1: on. Um, <laughs> well, a good one. <laughs> I had a really. I had, so, um, yeah. How early would you hire one? And are there a better ways to approach? Because I mean, lawyers are
0: expensive, and when you're trying to, you know, bootstrap through um, before you even have funding, um, it's kind of
1: hard to have any. Well, how you know, um, How early? How, yeah. How, question is, how early should you hire a lawyer, and what do you do about funding um, since you're bootstrapping early on? Um, uh, for my new company, I, the, one of the first things I'm doing is interviewing lawyers, attorneys. Um, I, I, I really think it was it's one of the, the earliest things, and yet they're very expensive, that's true. Um, but I think it's going to be worth, worth it in designing uh, what's in the bylaws, how you're putting your board of directors together, uh, where do you want to be in five years strategically, and, and, and how much money, and the different rounds, and your employment contract, all of these things Need to be thought out very early on so you can think strategically um, for the years down the road and plan them at the beginning. So before you even go to a VC or find anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question in the back. Yes, we're, Serenade is actually, this. oh yes, yes. sorry, thank you Tom, thank you. Um, do we have a, yes, do, are our products popular overseas and do we have a strategy for selling internationally? This product is registered, um, or a version of it is registered in about 17, 18 countries right now and our international business is growing very quickly and um, it's, what we found is that f- where, where there's export markets, there's a very high demand because as I mentioned earlier, you can't spray right before harvest with a chemical, because then you're at risk. The exporter will be at risk of having chemicals at a higher level than is allowed by law. And so uh, countries um, like Chile, where they're exporting to the US, um, Costa Rica, they're exporting bananas to, to, to US and EU, and so forth. Those countries where they're in an export market are, are rapid adopters of, of our types of products, because of that, uh, I, uh, because they want to minimize the amount of chemical residues at export time, yeah. yeah. Tom.
0: Why should, why should students consider working in a company like AgriQuest as opposed to Google? <laughs> 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 Since they're going to be here next week. I mean, you know, over time. I mean, what, what's the return?
1: Well, okay. Why? Why would you? Why would you want to work for a company like AgriQuest versus Google? Um, Let's see the I Goog- Google. That's what. Well, Google. Maybe they're changing the world, but maybe they are. But we're we're really changing the world. I mean, do <laughs> <laughs> do we, we want to be do you want to be part of something that is absolutely fundamentally changing the way your food is produced and making people healthier and the environment safer? This this is this is what gets people jazzed up about coming to AgriQuest. Those values again. That's one set of values and. Uh, it is it is amazingly exciting to be changing the way food is produced, and I didn't realize how hard it was going to be with AgriQuest over the 11 years, but uh, te- 11 years later, it is amazing the change that's happening in agriculture. Um, to have Walmart <coughs> becoming the largest retailer of organic food is unbelievable. So um, that's that's why. Yeah. yeah. Can
0: I get a bonus question?
1: Yeah, you can get a bonus uh, question. Where, where, where? <laughs> This
0: is one my okay. And one other product. And so and my question was, um, it seems to like they say it's look at how broad your perspective is and how many more products you would use. So how reliable is your the company gonna be if it's gonna be only producing one product, uh single product
1: reliable field. Oh okay. And, um are you planning to sell the company to do your Okay. Uh, the, the, when I start, set up Agriquest, the idea was that you couldn 't be a one product wonder, and the distribution chain completely ignore, ignores any companies that are just one product companies. They really like to see a solid company that has multiple products that excites them over the years they can they can make more money off of your product line you really have to so I, I set up Agriquest so we 'd have a full pipeline of products so serenade. Um, is the first one, but there's also several others. Um, Sonata is the second one and uh, is also uh, was introduced uh, last year and is growing. And there's um, several more in the pipeline. There's a, um, a couple licensed in products, well, actually, one we acquired. Um, there's an extract of a Mexican plant called epizote that um, kills um, aphids and mites and white flies and mealybugs. And this little Canadian company, uh, entrepreneur, and a couple other people. Uh, took this product, this extract of a plant, and turned it into a product, and it's it's waiting approval at the EPA. So that'll be on the market uh, next year. And uh, then we licensed in another one that um, is uh, a fungus found uh, by Dr. Gary Strobel at Montana State University that was found on a bark of, cinnam- of a cinnamon tree. And it actually is a fungus that produces gases, and you can put it in a in the soil and fumigate the ground as an alternative for a very toxic chemical methyl bromide that's being repl- replaced. So AgriQuest has um, a full line of products, and that was the idea. Now, is the company going to be sold? Obviously, the investors have to get their money out. And uh, um, the IPO market, NASDAQ, is, is just not really open for a company like AgriQuest. However, there have been five or so ag-type um, companies that have gone public on the London alternative market called the AIM. As well as the Toronto Stock Exchange, and also one on the EuroNext uh, in, in uh, Europe, and these companies are companies that have no reven- very little revenue, and I don't, even, you know, they're 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 at even at an earlier stage than AgriQuest yet have gotten amazing valuations in their off- public offerings, and so as a financing strategy, maybe maybe not the initial uh, float on the London AIM is going to get the investors liquidity, but maybe over time it will. But as a financing strategy. Uh, that would be a very good way to go to go on one, one of those alternative markets and it 's just odd that all, that all of, all of a sudden in the last year there have been these ag uh, there 's a biofertilizer company, a, a genetically engineered salmon company, a, and a couple others um, oh, uh, uh, one that takes uh, puts um, Gas turbines on the farm and, and cooks manure and comes out with an organic fertilizer. I'm on the board of that one. Uh, just amazing uh, ability to raise money in, al- more, in an alternate way. So the idea, the lesson here is that you know, be creative and find find ways to uh, to, to solve your um, your funding needs. And AgriQuest definitely could get sold to a big company. There's plenty of people out there um, who would be willing to, who would want to take on this product line. Definitely. Another question?
0: Yeah, why didn't you decide to pursue the weed project with AgriQuest, and why
1: did you uh, leave the to the um, Why, why are we not doing the weed project at AgriQuest, and why did I leave? Um, AgriQuest has so many products in development that um, it's a resource issue. And um, so has moved from discovery and longer term discovery to development and commercialization. So licensing products that are in much later stage to get revenue um, earlier and to ramp up the products that they already have. And when you're a small company, resource limited, you can't do everything. And um, so the the, the core competency of the company is shifting more to development and commercialization rather than discovery and development. And um, after 11 years at a company, I actually probably outlasted most founders. Most founders don't stay with a company, um, a venture-backed company, as long as I did. At least, um, there's, well, there's, there's a few examples, but for the most part, and um, uh, the, the investors that we brought in wanted, a, pretty much, wanted a transition to um, a new management. So, um, and the company, so my role was was changing, and um, it wasn't as um, it wasn't as entrepreneurial as I would have liked. So it wasn't as innovative and entrepreneurial with a company that's shifting to um, uh, the stage that it is. And uh, I wanted to, um, so my role was not um, what really excited me anymore, the role that was cha- that I was being given as the company changed. So. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. All right. Thank you.